Well, let's grab our Bibles and go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we're walking through what is called the Sermon on the Mount, verse verse by verse and a word by word. And I, before we jump into the text here, we're going to be in verses uh, 9 through 15, if we can work all the way through that. But uh, we have a big thing next Sunday known as Easter. And uh, you have, every single one of you have friends. And some of you even have, well, if you don't have friends, we can find you a friend here, all right? So you, if you're working on that. But every single one of you probably knows someone who needs to be involved in the life of a gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving, uh, people-loving church. A lot of you know people that if they died right now, they don't know Jesus, they've never been saved, and if they stood before God, because He is holy and just, He would have to tell them, depart from me, I never knew you. And they would receive the penalty of hell. And in hell, it's done. But God has saved us. Amen? Have you been saved? Just because you're here doesn't make you saved, right? But He's put you in their life to be salt and light. He's put you in there. He's done the transformational work. He has, He's given you a metamorphosis of your heart. He's changed your life and He's placed you in that family. He's placed you in those social situations so that you, not that somebody else, but that you would be the one to point these people to Jesus Christ and they would be saved. So, we know statistically that more people attend church on the two holidays of the year. We have Christmas and Easter, right? We have Christmas and Easter. More people are open to do that. For example, some people, they have a mom or a dad or or a grandparent that's involved in a church or some people have their children involved in that. And they say, you know what? I will, I will go to church on Easter and on Christmas. It's counting down. Y'all with me? T-minus, a little less than seven full days before we are at Easter Sunday morning. So what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to make calls. I'm going to send people text messages. I'm going to reach out by, you know, hopefully personal contact and interaction. Last night, I was able to be the chaplain for the the, the Elite Warrior Challenge, the Mixed Martial Arts event here in the Y. And uh, John Gerani went with me. And if you don't know John, he's a retired NYPD police officer and he's i mean he's got the shaved head italian guy he loves he knows everybody so i said john i'm glad that you're going this time because you give me legitimacy <laughs> when you walk in with john you know the people are like oh he's with you okay you know and so so john was there we were able to pray with some guys we were able to talk about jesus um, and man it was just so awesome make some more connections there so so lord willing some of those guys will come next week so let's do work shame on us shame on us if we say man i believe the bible is god's word it is true from cover to cover jesus has changed my life i used to be this way but jesus has changed me i'm not i have not arrived but man i'm just not gonna tell anybody about it that makes no sense we said a couple of weeks ago that man if we go to a if we go to a restaurant and it is just i mean it is out of this world good i mean you're 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 there 
and you're eating at that restaurant and you're having a spiritual experience. I mean, it's that good. It's like, come now, Lord Jesus. You will tell your friends. Some of y'all will take pictures of your food. (laughs) Just the food. And you will post that on social media. Twitter, Facebook, like I love this food. So here's the thing, man. If we if we can be excited about that stuff, let's be excited about the thing that ultimately matters, and that is Jesus Christ. But I know for some of us, we say, well, I've tried before. Or if I did talk to them about coming to church with me, they would just give an excuse. Guess who's in control of the world? Not you. You're like my mother-in-law. Mother-in-law thinks she is. She's not either. Jesus holds the whole world in his hand. So what that means for us is that he's the one who's in charge of that. He opens hearts. We don't. And is that not a stress reliever today? Because if it was up to you and I, I mean to, you know, some, some of your family members, your friends, they're living in open immorality or they're into addictions that are destroying their lives. And you're just like, I wish I had a, I don't know, maybe a magic Jesus wand that I could get from church mart or from Lifeway, you know, and, and I could just go around and, and change people. We can't do that. But the only thing that we can do is we can come before God and say, God, these people may blow me off. They may not be interested at all, but you have called me. You have called me to be an ambassador to the nations. You say that if you are for me, nothing can be against me. And so God, in faith, I'm going to open my lips. I'm going to write messages with my hands and put myself out there. And if they reject it, that is their decision. But I want to be faithful to you. And even if, and most of the time this doesn't happen, but even if that person is ugly, And even if they're rude and they kind of blow you off like you asked, like you just asked them to do something that was just bizarre and weird. There is a verse that we covered in Matthew chapter 5 a couple of months ago. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. So even if, man... Even if the text message conversation gets weird, if the personal conversation just has that stone wall of silence, and even if you feel that there is a rift in your relationship that comes as a result of you trying to reach out to your friends and family, and most of the time that doesn't happen if we do it in the right spirit, the right attitude, the right humility, but even if it comes to that, Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. He says in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my count. Then Jesus says, get pumped up. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad or rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward is great in heavens, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In other words, man, if people people think you're a little bit weird for standing up for Jesus, you are in good company. All right? So let's do work from now until next week. I'm going to be preaching a different message. We're not going to be in Matthew. We're preaching on what difference does the, resurrect, does the resurrection make. Sometimes people come to church and they see whether it's a modern-looking stage or traditional seating, and they say, you know what, man, the church thing... That may be all right, but what, I mean, really, what difference does it make? What difference does it make if I go to church? What difference does it make if, if any of this is true? Listen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, it makes all the difference in the world. 
Jesus actually rose from the dead, it has a potential to change a person's life so radically. Which leads us to our message today called Scary Prayers. Change is scary for some of us, isn't it? The C word, the change, transformation, new stuff. It can be scary. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. You say, Jeff, why in the world would you be teaching on the Lord's Prayer? (laughs) Why would you call that thing a scary prayer, man? I I mean, the Lord's Prayer, it's almost like a a part of some some of the culture within inside the United States. But why would that be scary? And here here is the, the driving idea of this message. And it's on your, your worship guide if you're following along with us. It's this. That the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. Alright? Jesus didn't necessarily give the Lord's Prayer to us so that we could just memorize it and recite it. Although that's certainly a good thing. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer to teach us how to pray. So the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer for submission to God. And let's just be very, very frank and upfront. Submission to God can be a scary thing. Sometimes people, they come to church and they're like, man, I, I know I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Shoot. I know, I know, I know I not only need to get saved, I need to do what Jesus has called me to do. I need to not be ashamed of him when the invitation is given. I'm going to come forward and say I'm ready to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm ready if we had this screen raised, you'd see a baptistry right back there. And we've not had any fatalities, no drownings here yet. Man, we put them down and bring them right back out. Say, I know that Jesus is calling me to be faithful and to stand up and be counted. And say, I'm going to be baptized in the name of Jesus to picture the life, the death, the burial and resurrection of Christ. So without me having to preach a sermon by people, my friends, family, just coming and seeing that, they're like, man, they are not ashamed of Jesus. It is your sermon. And sometimes you say, I know I need to do that. I need to get plugged into church. Not that church saves me, but because I'm saved, I love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. We know that in our heart. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, but then it can come to that point to say, hold on, hold on. For me, submitting my life to God, I don't know exactly what that looks like. And we're not going to do the raising hands thing, but some of us in here, if we can be very honest, we struggle with control. When we're going on a trip, we'd like to know what's going to happen every day of that trip. Even vacation. Have you ever been on vacation with a control freak? You know, like, it's vacation! For the love of Krispy Kreme. I mean, it's vacation. Let us relax. And they, man, they got a day planner down to 15 minutes. And man, if something goes off schedule, they're like, we're off the schedule and we're like, relax. I am relaxed. You know, it's that time. Struggle with, it's struggle with control. And to a certain degree, we all do that. Some of us are just wired differently. Some of us are very laid back. I mean, shoot, you can have some people on a plane and you lose 200 feet of altitude. Everybody's screaming, throwing coffee all over the place. And they're just like, all right, you know, and they're, they're on the verge of a heart attack, but they just, they just don't get worked up about stuff. So the thing about all of us, if we could just boil it down, when Jesus came, he came to show us, this is, this is big, that God is actually God. And you're like, hold on, Pastor Jeff, I never realized that. I knew a crazy guy in philosophy class who thought he was God. But I I don't walk through my life being like, I wonder if I'm God. But think about it. 
When we come to that place where God speaks to us and says, submit to me, give your life to me. Just, just, I don't know, it's just like you're driving down the, down the road and you've got a backseat driver in your car. Man, is that not annoying? It's like, it's like stopping the car and getting out of the driver's seat. I hope I didn't cause some marital conflicts because I see all kinds of <laughs> men and women looking at you like, hey, <laughs> All right. It's like you stopping man, and getting out of that driver's seat and just saying, here's the keys. Here's the driver's seat. Take me. I will follow you. Take me where I need to go. That is submission to God. Submission to God means your word is my command. But you see, another thing that holds us up, one would be control when we come to the Lord's prayer. But another thing would be that some of us just have issues trusting people. Some of us naturally, it's like we're just a little bit more cautious. Some of us, we've been burned by people. You may have been robbed. I mean, before that, man, you left your key in the ignition. Because if you take your key out of the ignition, what can happen to your keys? You lose them. But our society has changed. Maybe you, maybe you've had relational stuff where you just, it's hard for you to trust. It's hard for you to give up control. And even more so, some people have never known their dad. Or they have known their dad and he's not been the man of God that he should be. So it's kind of like Jesus uses this word over and over again in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he refers to God not 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 as some uh, dictator, but as our father. We learned last week that prayer should be a child having a conversation with his or her father. A child who truly trusts the father and the father cares for and provides for the kid. But if we have a wrong picture of who God is, we will not trust him. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer and we really pull back the layers of the onion and look at what it's for, Jesus is giving us a model prayer for submission and obedience to God. And for some of us, that can be very, very scary. Sometimes we say, well, Lord, I I know I need to change. I know I need to change everything. But I have no idea of what that looks like. I know this is jacked up. I know I have problems. I create problems by the way that my heart is, the way that I act, the way the things that I do. I know what this looks like, but to enter into, I don't know, it's like to cross through that door and to go through that gate to the land of submission to God. I have no idea of what that even looks like. And the Lord's prayer, submitting to God, can be something very scary. But listen. Submitting to God can be the, it can be the most freeing thing that you've ever done. To where you no longer have to be micromanaging your life. Yes, we're disciplined. Yes, we plan. Yes, we, you know, show restraint in our finances. But just saying, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. So notice what Jesus does here. If you have your Bibles, follow along with us. In verse number 9 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, pray then like this. Stop right there. Notice Jesus doesn't say, pray this. We all clear there? Some of us have learned the Lord's Prayer to say, well, when you pray to the Lord, you have to recite the Lord's Prayer. That's not a bad thing. By the way, anytime you quote the words of Jesus, that's probably a good thing. It's a good good one to quote from. 
But Jesus doesn't say memorize and meditate this as your prayer alone. Because if we back up just a couple of verses, he says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So here's the temptation. The temptation can be, and it's great if you've memorized the Lord's Prayer, but if you have, the temptation can be to simply recite the Lord's Prayer, and that can become a meaningless, empty repetition. But Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil some manuscripts have for thine is the kingdom or yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and then jesus really begins to step on toes in verse number 14 he says for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses So we're going to walk through what Jesus says is the model prayer for submission to God. Number one, Jesus in verse 9 is teaching us that we should honor and praise God as God. When Jesus uses the term Father, it is a very intimate term. It is a term that refers to trust. It is a term that refers to a properly basic belief. Like when you see the little kids that are let out of children's church. Or when we see them, it's going to be awesome collecting eggs. And they're going to see a video in here about Jesus. And that, well, they're all back there. But Easter, parents, is not about chocolate eggs and the Easter bunny. It's about Jesus. And so it's an opportunity for us to get together and emphasize Jesus. You can use whatever you can use to point to Jesus, but boy, when you see kids come in and they see their mom and their dad, kids are open, especially when they're small. Once they get about sixth or seventh grade, they begin, they become cool. And that's one thing I love working with students, man, especially speaking at these youth conferences and youth camps. I go find the guys. Usually it's like around, especially the, the, uh, like sophomore to junior. Ages in high school, and man, they are too cool for school. They have, they, you know, they're just there, they're like, like that, and I go up and I try to embarrass them. I love it. So, um, hey, may it, may it never be that we get too cool for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's not just a, let's not, let's not hammer on the middle schoolers and high schoolers. Man, we love, we love our middle schoolers and high schoolers, but that can happen any age to where we say, you know what? I've been there, done that. I've heard those songs. I've heard that text preached before. I've been to church. I know how the ushers are supposed to walk in step with each other. I know that we're supposed to do the Lord's Supper this way. Listen, may, maybe it's a time to where we just come back to square one, wherever we are in our walk with Jesus and acknowledge God and praise Him and respect Respect him and love him as God. What that means is that his first command is that we believe in the gospel, we repent from our sins, and be saved. So today, if you've not had your heart changed, Jesus is calling you to become a follower of his, to give your life to him. Secondly, he calls us to be baptized. It's an act of obedience. He calls us to be connected with the church family. He calls us to... Do everything that we can to bring the gospel around the world. 
You see, man, at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, I hope that if you're new with us, you don't get the sense that we're just all about getting the biggest group that we possibly can so that we'll look around and we'll feel good about ourselves. Y'all okay? Or that we'll be able to look at the, I don't know, maybe like a budget sheet and say, well, the offering's going up so we can do more or we've got more people in our Bible study class. Those are good things, but those things are byproducts of loving people and loving Jesus. To honor God is God. The Bible tells us in in James 1.17 that God is the father of lights, whereas in John 8.44, Satan is the father of lies. So what are some of the things that a father does? Well, a father provides for his children. Philippian, if you're taking notes, I've got some extra scriptures that are not in your outline. I'd encourage you to write that down. Hey, because listen, if you're like me and I'm listening to a sermon, I listen to like 10 to 13 hours or something like that of preaching this past week. I was at a preaching conference in Louisville, Kentucky. I had no idea what to do with myself. I'm so excited because first time in three years, I was able to go to a conference where I was preached to and fed. Usually when I'm gone, it's for presenting stuff with my school at Liberty or for me preaching somewhere else. I did not know what to do. But it's so cool, man. We're able to, to listen and write stuff down because you retain it a lot more that way. Except for all of the brilliant people that never take a note. We know that you remember everything for the glory of God. All right. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. The Bible says, and my God, this is the apostle Paul speaking, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God as a father, he provides for us. He provides for us. Number two, a father also protects us. Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, the Bible says, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You may have grown up to where you felt very vulnerable. In fact, if you grew up in a Jesus-loving, Bible-believing family that actually lived out the Scriptures and you, you received encouragement from your parents... And it wasn't just like, hey, good job on that B+. Great job on that A. You hit a home run in the softball game. You, I mean, you totally broke that guy's ankles with your crossover in the basketball game. They didn't just praise what you did, but they expressed love to you. You are in a very small minority. There are homes all across this world where people grow up with Feeling vulnerable because not only do people on the outside take aim at them, people in their family never learn. And it starts with the dads. It starts with you dads coming and humbling yourself before Jesus and His Word. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 6, or chapter 6, 1 through 4, and learning how to love your wives and love your children as Christ loved the church. And what happens is if you do that, oh my goodness. You are honoring God as God. You are being the spiritual leader of your family. And some men say, well, if I actually affirmed my sons, I would make them weaklings. Absolutely not. When they are young and when they're especially in those teenage years, it's that formative process. I mean, do we remember those times? It was a great time of our life, wasn't it? Absolutely not, right? Your body's changing. You don't know who you are. Your inferiority complex. But if you can have a godly man, godly woman, especially your father, mother, come alongside and speak life into you, boy, it does wonders for who you become. But a lot of people haven't had that. And I just want to encourage you with Psalm chapter 3, verse 3, that God says, even if your family's not been there, even if you're married and it's like your husband or your wife 
their their emotional ability to show love and not complain and eat away to, eat away at you with their words even if they don't seem like they even love you god says he'll be a shield to you he will be there for you he is the one who ultimately cares for you so family aside work aside losing jobs aside church splits For those of you who have come from other places who have endured that kind of drama, God is still God. And he allowed that to happen for a a reason. So a good father provides for his children. A good father will protect his children. Not only that, a good father will teach his children. Psalm chapter 32, verse number 8. Psalm chapter 32, verse number 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Boy, that's a good word for scary prayers, isn't it? And we just read this passage and Jesus is like, once again, verse 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're, hold on, we'll get to that in just a second. That's scary. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Man, that is total giving over the deed or the title of your life to God. And sometimes when it doesn't, you like, I, Jeff, if I came and I said I'm ready to be saved, I would screw it up. You ever thought that before? I would love to serve Jesus. I want to be changed. I don't don't want to continue to be me, the me that I've been. I know I need that change, but I would probably screw it up. That's the point of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that every single one of you and me included are on our way to hell because we are sinners and we cannot change our hearts. And if you have been deceived into thinking that you are good enough or compared to another person for God to be like, well, you didn't do that. You, you, you didn't murder somebody. You didn't steal from your neighbor's house when they were on vacation and you know where they kept the key. Under the rock, around back, by the air conditioning unit. You didn't do that. God's not going to be like, oh, good job. No. If you've been deceived to thinking that you're good enough, you are most deceived and you're on your way to hell today. Jesus' harshest words were for the Pharisees who thought that they were totally in. I mean, they thought they had the ticket reserved, seat number, priority boarding, access first class, baby. They were going to heaven. But they had deceived themselves because their standard was that of other people. And they thought that they could please God by good works. The gospel says you will never be good enough. The gospel said Jesus was perfect. So we trade in our lack of goodness for his perfection. We trust in him. We repent. We turn to him. And he is the one who changes our life. And Psalm chapter 32, verse 8 again says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. If you come to the point, which I pray that you do today, if you never have, of giving control of your life to God and praying that scary prayer or something like it to say, God, I give myself to you. He will teach you. And not only that, ladies, he will bring godly women alongside of you. We have a great women's Bible study that meets on Sunday afternoon. We have great Bible studies that meet on Sunday morning. And guys, we've got stuff in the works. Just go ahead and let it out. May 17th, put it down in your calendar. Saturday afternoon, we're going to go shoot skeet in Franklin County as a church event for the glory of God. Some of y'all are freaked out by that. Hey, man, buy some ammo and come on. 
start reaching men for Jesus by whatever means that we can, whatever, whatever we can do to reach people. So even if you don't know what it looks like, God will bring people alongside of you to help. So not only does a good father provide, does he protect us, he teaches us, but he also will, some of you parents are like, this is like 99% of what I do. He also disciplines us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Listen, the fact that sometimes God brings us through a period of discipline, it's because he loves us. It's because he loves us. What would you think of a parent? I know we may. Listen, y'all all know the parents that don't discipline their kids. And we're not talking about, I mean, brutal, uh, physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional manipulation. We're talking about just loving discipline. The parents that think their kids don't have a sin nature. We all tracking, right? I mean, their kids are just like they're they're... They're gnawing holes in the wood on the furniture at somebody else's house. And the parent's like, oh, you know, that not he sweet? You know, and he's like swinging the cat around, beating the dog with the cat by the tail. I mean, it's just, just like, and it's, it's just, here's the thing. A good parent will discipline and lead their child to what is right and lead the child away from what is wrong. When I went to go visit uh, my, my new little niece and my 19-month-year-old nephew in Florida the other week, we brought him uh, to the beach, and Micah's just there, you know, and, and the waves are coming, and he's loving it. And I made the stupid mistake of, uh, we put him in the little chair, and I had found a couple of shells and put it in the side pocket. And I looked over, and the shells weren't there, and he's chewing. And Josh, who's a minister at church, and I will not... Imitate his tone of voice because we'll have another time that the sound system is blown this morning. But man, he just jumps up. Micah, no, no, no. You know, picks him up. You do it like this. You're like shaking him. He's trying to get the, the finger in the mouth to clean it out because he doesn't want his kid to end up at the doctor. And the doctor said, what's wrong? And he said, my kid eats shells. And you feel like a terrible parent, right? A good parent will, will discipline the child. Because the parent truly cares. So I, I hope that just that snippet, and we're, we're not going to be able to get through, through all of this today because, listen, God cares about us enough to not let us have what we always think that we want. God loves us enough. Every time, sometimes we may even pray something, and it seems like that's what we want, God says no. And sometimes we, hey, listen, Let's just be honest. We think we're doing right sometimes. And then God brings us through a period of discipline. And we realize that even though we thought we were doing the right thing, we were totally out of the will of God. If it had not been for his grace and his loving discipline, we would have continued to go in that direction and we'll have eaten a full stomach full of shells and paid the consequence for it. But because God loves us, he keeps us from what would destroy us. So that's the reason. Maybe, you know, if you come from another church, if you come from no church, and sometimes stuff you're like, man, Jeff, I was like, I just checked out on you, being honest. When you said that I was going to go to hell because I thought I was a good person, that's too strong. I mean, who, who do you think you are? Listen, I'm no better than anybody else. Jesus is the one who saves. Sometimes we think that the bad news is good news, and the good news is bad news. It's like this. 
Jesus is going through this saying, our Father that's in heaven, your kingdom come, all of this stuff that submits us to God. Sometimes we think the good news is somebody standing up saying, you're so awesome. Boy, when God created you, he did something extraordinary because you know what? You're probably so good that you just need to add a little church to your life. Listen, man, that stuff, that stuff reeks of hell. And sometimes we think that what we need is to have a motivational speech to lift us up and pep us up. But sometimes we need to hear the tough words that are truly what we need to hear, even though we think that we need to hear something different. And it's because God is love that he's honest with us. So you have Jesus saying, our father, which is in heaven, how would be your name? That, that word it has nothing to do with Halloween. All right. It has everything to do with honoring and lifting up as holy the name of God. Now, the word God is simply the English word for the, the greatest conceivable being, the maximally great being. You could say it in German, Russian. It, you can say it differently. But what we mean as Christians when we speak of God, we are speaking of God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you are confused by the Trinity, we actually taught on that a couple years ago. You can find the notes and the teaching on our website, RockyMountBaptistChurch.com. But something that can throw us all sometimes is when we say the word God, we only think of the Father. When we say the word God as Christians, we're thinking of God who is Father, who is Son, and who is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And we say Hallowed is the name of God. Honored is the name of God. I remember a couple years ago, uh, Jonathan Sweat, and uh, you need to pray for Jonathan. His father uh, had a uh, a heart issue. He's down in South Carolina today. He normally plays the uh, the, the djembe up here, the big bongo uh, licking drum. But uh, we'll be in prayer for Jonathan as he, he travels back, and we believe his dad's going to be able to be all right. And uh, But Jonathan brought me to a Redskins game a couple years ago, and, and I try not to, to talk about this but I, a lot of times on Sunday morning, but I thought it would be a good illustration. I'm a Cowboys fan. Forgive me. Um, so that means that God is near to the brokenhearted. And so I know what it means to be let down. But he's, he's a Redskins fan, and we love Jesus, and we're able to serve and be friends together. So I was there at FedEx Field, and, and the Redskins were playing the, the Giants. And, uh, and even, even in the men's restroom during, during halftime, they were talking about Tony Romo all at once, chanting. I'm not going to tell you what they were chanting, but Tony Romo was very popular being hated. The Cowboys are. So after the game, the Cowboys had won, or excuse me, the, the Redskins had won. And uh, I mean, everybody's just going crazy, you know, and they're excited. And uh, and I just lean over the railings. And I'm like, yeah, you know, just start going crazy, man, like charismatic preacher crazy. I'm like, yeah, whoa. You know, and this one guy that I, I don't even know, he's walking down, he reaches up and he gives me a high five. And right before our hands met, I just screamed out as loud as I could, go Cowboys. I've done smarter things in my life. I really, really have. Uh, he said something that we probably wouldn't have printed on the screen. And, but, man, it was, it was just like his, his, his face changed from, like, we are blood brothers in this. We're both, we're both having fun and celebrating the same thing to you are my mortal enemy. 
And if I could, I'd burn your home down and kick your dog, right? I mean, it was just that type of, of hatred. And I think of that, how, how fired up we get, you know, Virginia Tech fans, Virginia Cavaliers fans, and we do, we, we, we get into that, you know, and sometimes we will wear, or wear a hat that has our team logo on there, or wear a shirt, or, you know, a, a mailbox will be a certain team, or when you come into the house, there will be, you know, the doormat that, that has, has your team. And uh, I never understood that. You would want the other team to be the doormat, right? But that's another sermon for another time. But then I think about something that's a little bit up on the meaningful scale. Some of you followed the protest in Albuquerque several several weeks ago. And there was this one video that's gone viral on the Internet. There were two protesters on a moped. And they had the American flag that had been turned upside down. Extreme sign of disrespect. Should never be done. And there were these two young Marines... And they had had about all they could stand. You know, sometimes you see people do things that are a little bit out there, but you're like, everybody loves it because that's what we're all thinking. Kind of like when Jesus threw all the money changers out of the temple. Those guys were absolute. They were make. They were ripping people off in the name of God at the temple, at, at the the gathering place to worship God. And Jesus went in, man, and he pulled a Chuck Norris, turned over tables. I mean, and he said, "This my father's house is a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves." So, man, these guys they they just take off running, and they, they, like they were going to tackle the moped dudes. And the moped guys, they look behind them and just hit it and they drop the flag. And one of the Marines comes and he picks it up. And he takes it off of the pole and turns it the way that it should be. They were using some colorful vocabulary. But the point was clear. Don't disrespect the flag. It is something of honor. Countless people have given their lives for that. Don't, don't burn it. Don't turn it upside down. Respect it. And they're willing to run down some moped guys to retrieve and give the flag the due honor that it deserved. And then we think about, you take it up a notch. The name of God, hallowed be your name. Boy, we, we love sports teams. We should love our country more. That's why, man, when something happens, 9-11, those types of events, you had Cowboys fans and Redskins fans come together and say, united we stand. But Jesus uses this word, and I have tried this week to think about the best way to explain it, and it is so deep and so profound that we know that God is the one who created everything. He's the one who designed our bodies to be able to function. And yes, our bodies eventually break down because we live in a world of sin and sickness and disease. But let's just think for a moment about how great God is. That when we speak to him in prayer, we're just not throwing up a table prayer that's lame. We're not just talking to the old man upstairs. We are speaking with the one who created everything and who knows everything. Have you ever known someone that you think you like him and then you find out stuff about him? You're like, I don't know. Some of you that are maybe in a dating relationship or were, you're like, man, he seemed to be a great guy when we started out or she seemed to really love Jesus. But boy, the deeper that it went, it seemed like it was all a farce. She's crazy. 
He's really not who he said he was. And the more we learn, the more we seem to distance ourselves from people who have problems. Listen, God knows everything that we have ever done. He knows everything that we will ever do. And having that total knowledge, he still, he still said, I will redeem the world. And Jesus says, I will go. He still did that. Jesus said, honored, hallowed be your name. Man, if God is that great, God on the screens, I think it'd be all right to pray a scary prayer. Because what can happen to us sometimes is we say, man, Jeff, I, I, love, I love sports. I love my country. I want to love God. But you don't understand where I've been and what I've done. That is pride. Listen to me. When you say, I have done all these things, I don't think God could change me. I don't think he could forgive me. You're literally saying, God, you can't handle this. God, you can, you can do those things for those other people. But what you're literally saying is that, God, I am more powerful than you. My sin is greater than your grace. But the gospel says the exact opposite. It says that his grace is greater than our sin. We come to that place to say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. It is a transfer of authority, submission, and trust to the one, yes, who has all power, but the one who loves us so much to send his son.